Okay, we're continuing on in the chapter on reconciliation and acceptance. This is the third Sunday dealing with it. I do intend to get through with it today. Uh, but it is a, another in, in, uh, important chapter. You know, we've seen that when it comes to both reconciliation and acceptance, they are based on our position in Christ. They are not based upon the life that we live on a daily basis. And that incredibly important to come to understand. The uh, Until we really come to rest in the fact that we are completely, forever accepted in Christ. It's going to hamper us in our Christian life. In fact, and we saw this last week, he says, you know, the believer who is not abiding by faith in the acceptable one, Christ, but who is relying on his personal condition for acceptance is hopelessly handicapped in the matter of fellowship, growth, and service. If you do not see yourself totally accepted by God, it's going to impact your fellowship with him. You know, if you think that your fellowship with Him relies upon the way you live your daily life, your, your fellowship with Him is going to be like this. It's only as you come to really rest in the fact that you are accepted. We're told, you know, to come boldly or confidently before the throne of grace. Why can I come confidently before God's throne? I can do it because I know He accepts me in Christ. That gives me great freedom to come before Him. He says, you know, the one who does not uh, abide by faith in his acceptance in Christ is going to be hampered in his growth. We grow by keeping our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. We grow by coming to see who we are and what we have in Him. If I wonder from day to day whether I'm accepted or not, my focus is going to be on me. It's going to be on my life. And the more I focus on me, the less I'm going to grow. I have, I have to have my eyes on Christ. And then, you know, he says, you know, that the one who is not abiding by faith in the acceptable one is hampered in the area of service. Any true acceptable service to God flows from my relationship with Christ. Flows from my fellowship with God. It doesn't flow from me trying real hard. But as we saw last week, he says, as we become more fully established in our position, we're increasingly willing to reject self, to leave all that sinful uh, source on the cross for daily crucifixion. The more I come to rest in my position of acceptance, the more I'm willing to turn my eyes from this and say, God, 
You know, that life of mine that is independent from Christ, all it was worthy of was the cross. And be willing to leave it there. And I think we ended on this note last week that self-effort produces works of the flesh. While positional rest fosters the fruit of the Spirit. If I am trying to live the Christian life, it's going to be the result of the fruit of the flesh. And sad to say, a whole lot of Christians in the world today are trying their best to serve the Lord, but they're doing it in their own strength. But as we rest in who we are and what we have in Christ, the Spirit is able to bring forth His fruit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and self-control. Which in turn is going to produce fruit in our service. Now, we pick up there in in, the top of page 93. It says, abide in me. That's Christ, your position. And I in you. And he's quoting from John 15, 4 and 5. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except you abide in me. I am the vine. Uh, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Now in John 15, 4 and 5, we're basically told there are basically two primary conditions for fruit bearing. One is to abide in Christ, and the second is for him to abide in us. He says, you know, if you're abiding in me and I'm abiding in you, your life will become fruitful. Now, a lot of the newer translations say, if you remain in me and I remain in you, I really don't like that. (laughs) Remain is kind of a passive word, whereas abide is a more active word. It's not just stay, stay here, you know, it's, you know, abide. Live out your life in me and let me live out my life in you. Abiding is a very active thing. It's not just staying put. It's that involvement with Christ. And he says, you know, that is the key to being a fruitful believer. But, you know, if I am not assured of my acceptance based on my relationship with Christ, I'm not going to do much abiding. You know, he makes this statement in here. You know, that without him, the branch can do nothing. A branch separated from the vine produces no fruit whatsoever. 
In fact, the branch never produces its own fruit. It produces the fruit of the vine. And that comes from that abiding relationship. Now he says, well, let me. Although we abide in the Lord Jesus as our position, we are ever aware of our condition in ourselves. You know, to say that I'm abiding in Christ doesn't mean that I am not aware of the struggles and, and the failures that are going on in my daily life. I'm well aware of those. But I also am aware that that does not in any way affect the way God sees me. He sees me in Christ. I mean, coming to understand this probably is one of the things that has had the greatest effect in my Christian life. Because it used to be, I felt like my walk with the Lord was, you know, I'm in fellowship, I'm out of fellowship, I'm in fellowship, I'm out of fellowship. And it was this roller coaster ride. And concerned that something I did that day, you know, that was displeasing with God, that somehow it was going to affect the way He looked on me. Now, is God concerned about the sin in my life? Yes. But it does not affect His acceptance of me in any way. It does not cause Him to pull away from me in any way. Why? Because that sin has been paid for and I am accepted in the Beloved. Yes, God cares about the sin in my life. Why? Because it's inconsistent with who I am in Christ. And because it is destructive. The wages of sin is death. And I know we quote that with unbelievers. That passage is written to believers. Sin kills things. It kills relationships. Kills careers. It destroys. So God is concerned about what's going on here. But He also knows that the answer isn't for us to focus on this and fixing this. Or the answer is for me to learn to live my life in Christ and have Him living His life in me. And He will bring the freedom that is needed. When, you know, I felt like, you know, this, you know, this condition of mine was so important, that was where my focus was. And I couldn't look there and look at Christ at the same time. And the more I focused on my condition, the more it, you know, sin dominated my life. My eyes need to be where they need, there on the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the answer. Would you say 
had this thing over the last years that I just asked the Lord to purify from my mind. And I kept trying, I kept saying, oh, you think I've learned. I kept being over on the side of the condition in the sense of asking the Lord to take it from me. And it was a focus thing. And it dawned on me because the Spirit must have spoken <laughs> that uh, this is not right. Lord, if I focus on you, if my walk and my thoughts are towards you, more and more, you will that will that will be purified from my mind because that will not be where my mind is. Yeah. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. And it was I wanna tell you, it really was an amazing thing to me that I realized as time went on that absolutely that is exactly what was happening. Without me hardly even I wasn't thinking yeah. about it or what trying to do that. Yeah. It was something he did as the focus was on him and not on the sin issue. Yeah. And that's where we, where, where we, you know, shoot ourselves in the foot all the time is we get focused on the sin rather than our source, which is Christ. You know, so he says, you know, although we abide in the Lord Jesus as our position, we are ever aware of our condition in ourselves. And he says, we are concerned about the sinfulness of self, but no longer do we depend on improvement in that realm for our, our acceptance. Yeah, I'm concerned about what's going on in my daily life, but I do not look to that. I do not feel like somehow I've got to improve my daily life for God to accept me. I rest in my acceptance. He says, we are resting in a position, in a person who is fully and forever accepted by God. One in whom there is no improvement necessary or possible. You cannot improve on Christ. I'm resting in the fact that because I am united with Him, that when God looks on Him, He accepts me with Him. And see, that keeps me from Shying away from God when I'm struggling with sin. It keeps me from thinking that God is pulling away from me when I'm struggling with sin. When I'm struggling with sin, I need God in my life. I need to know in the midst of that struggle that I can flee to God's open arms and know that He is there accepting me. And that He holds the answer. See, in the past, it was this idea that when I sin, then I wallow it in in a while and I, you know, confess and confess and confess and I wonder whether I'm getting forgiven. And, and my focus then is, you know, I've got to get this sin out, uh, under control. And it's, all this focus is over here on my condition rather than being where it needed to be on the Lord. And we agree 
the Lord will never let us have freedom now. Yeah, he never will. And so he says, you know, here we are. We, you know, as we come to rest in our position, we've exchanged the unimprovable self for the perfect one. It's not about me. It's not about my life. It's about Him. Then this next statement, I think, is, is, is so important. Established in our position... Again, a position of justification, a, pish, uh, uh, a position of assurance, a position of reconciliation, a, a position of acceptance. As we are established in our position, we become increasingly aware of our acceptance in Him and more free to fellowship with our Father. Again, I, I used to view fellowship as this roller coaster ride of being in fellowship and then I sin and I'm out of fellowship and I confess it and I get in fellowship and then I'm out I sin and I get out of fellowship and I confess it and I get in fellowship and then I sin and I get out of fellowship. Man, what a frustrating life. And then I was always afraid I'd committed some sin that I hadn't thought of and hadn't confessed. I spent half to two-thirds of my prayer time trying to make sure I confessed all my sins. And it affected my fellowship with the Father. As I've come to see my acceptance in Christ... It gives me great freedom to walk with the Lord. Not because I'm perfect. I still struggle with sin. I still fail. I miss the mark. But I know that I can walk consistently with the Lord. I am convinced that despite our... Uh, our struggles and failures in the area of sin, that God has made it possible for us to walk in unbroken fellowship. Why? Because, you know, of our acceptance in Christ. I do not believe, you know, that sin causes God to ever pull away from me, I do believe that His light at times causes me to pull away from Him. And I say, I believe unbroken fellowship is possible. I believe that very few of us ever walk in unbroken fellowship because His light becomes uncomfortable at times and we start to pull away from Him. First John chapter 1 says what? what? What's key to fellowship? Being willing to walk in the light. Because I'm going to tell you something about fellowship with God. It's not always comfortable. Sometimes it becomes incredibly uncomfortable. Why? Because God is light. And the more I walk with Him, the more His light illuminates things in my daily condition... 
that I really wouldn't like to see. But I need to see. But that same light that illuminates those things also is seeking to illuminate to me what I have in Christ to deal with it. And to live in freedom. I used to spend a lot of time really worried about whether I was in fellowship or not. Now I don't. Because I live each day believing that God has made it possible for me to walk with Him. And if I get out of fellowship, I know I got out of fellowship and I know why. Because I know when the Spirit started convicting me of something and I started pulling away, trying to slink over into the darkness where I didn't have to look at it. But I also know there are days of my fellowship with the Lord where it is uncomfortable. <laughs> where God is, is, you know, shining His light into some dark recess of my life that I would just as soon not have to look at. But He says, you're my child. You need to see this. You need to see Christ's answer for this. You need to experience the freedom that's for you, there for you. Man, an understanding of acceptance opens that door for fellowship. <coughs> Consistent, unbroken fellowship. And he says, in this blessed communion we grow and become more manifestly conformed to his image. As I walk day by day in fellowship with God, as His light shines into my life, as His light reveals things about my condition, but His light reveals things about Christ to me, that light, you know, begins to change me. It brings about that conformity. He quotes from... 2 Corinthians 3.18, we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory even by the Spirit of the Lord. He says, you know, as we're looking at Christ, as we're seeing Christ, we're little by little changed into His image. find it also significant that in 1 John chapter 3 we're told what is it that ultimately is going to transform us fully into the image of Christ. It's looking on Him and seeing Him as He is. John doesn't say, you know, that when Christ returns we'll be like Him because God will finally give us everything we've been missing. No, he says, we will look on him, we will see him in his fullness, and it will change us. Because finally, we will grasp what it means to be in Christ. <clears throat> we will grasp what's been ours all along. But I do believe that the more we come to see Christ as he is today, the more we will be conformed to his image. 
But if my focus is on my condition, if my focus is on trying to fix my condition, my focus isn't on Christ. It's on me. You know, I've got to get control of this thought, or I've got to, you know, get control of my temper, or I've got to do this or not do that. And my focus is there. Rather than on the Lord Jesus Christ. (coughs) Excuse me. He says, goes on, he says, we are basically Christ-centered instead of self-centered. You know what? Now I've got to sneeze. (coughs) This is great for the (coughs) people on listening to the recording. They just got off easy. We we were at lunch with somebody yesterday, and I think I sneezed eight times in a row. Mm. Okay, back where we were. Um, You know, he talks about, again, having our focus on Christ. And he says, you know, when we do that, we're basically Christ-centered instead of self-centered. Through our position in Him, we have peace, joy, and fellowship, which abide all, uh, which abide all along our cross-centered path as our spiritual condition is, uh, is developed. You know, as our focus is on Him, we have peace, joy, and fellowship. You know, as I shared the other week, you know, I've, I think I've said it a couple times, but there in Ireland, one of the first couples we started meet with said that we were the first Christians they ever knew who enjoyed the Christian life. Why? Because we were so successful? No! Because we didn't carry that burden on ourselves. We recognized that the Christian life flowed from our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we could live our lives getting to know Him. And that brought peace and that brought joy. And it kept the Christian life from being this burdensome thing. Now he says... One of the foremost benefits of resting in our position of acceptance is the deep, undying assurance that God is for us. Do you really grasp that God is for you? He quotes from Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, which is speaking to Israel, but I think it has application to us. He says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. And why do I think that that has application to us? Because there are New Testament passages that bear it out. Colossians 1.20, having made three, uh, peace through the blood of the cross. We are at peace with God. And then that beautiful uh, chapter 8 of Romans. 
<clears throat> now he only quotes here from verse 1 and verse 31. There's a whole lot in between there. But he starts out in Romans 8 verse 1, There, there is therefore now no condemnation for them who are in Christ Jesus. He says if we're in Christ, there is nothing that will ever condemn us in the eyes of God. And then he goes through this long list of things that will not separate us from the love of God. And he, in verse 31, he comes to this conclusion. If God be for us, who can be against us? If God be for us, who can be against us? God is for you and me. He's not, you know, for our fleshly life. He's for us. He cares about us. He accepts us. He says, as the Holy Spirit applies the finished work of the cross to the sinful source within, this inner crucifixion may lead us to think God is against us. No, here's where faith has to come in. You know, as God is dealing with the self-life, as God is trying to get it out of the way, as God is is ministering the cross to that self-life, it hurts. And he says it's easy for us to think that God is against us. But he says... But just the opposite is true. (coughs) Everything he takes us through is for our spiritual growth. God is for you and me. He wants nothing more than to see you and me reach our full potential in the Lord Jesus Christ. He knows what that potential is. And He knows the things that stand as obstacles to reaching that full potential. And the the greatest obstacle we face in reaching, you know, our potential is self-effort. Trying to live the Christian life in our strength. And so God is going to not only let us fail, but at times orchestrate our failure. And we have maybe a besetting sin we're struggling with, and we're pleading with God, God, give me the strength to deal with this. And He doesn't. And we think, man, God must be against me. No, he's very much for you, but he knows that until you come to that place of throwing up your hands like Paul's did and saying, the good I want to do I can't do and the evil I don't want to do I continually do, who is going to rescue me? God is for you, but he knows that you have to come to that place. And until we've been broken and brought to that place, 
we are going to be hampered in moving forward and reaching our potential. I heard a pastor of a very large church one time make the statement he would not accept anybody in an assistant pastor's role in his church that had not been broken in their Christian life. That until somebody had been totally broken before the Lord, they really couldn't understand the Christian life and growth. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. God is for you. God is for me. He wants to see you reach your potential. But He's going to have to bring you to that place of saying, Lord, I cannot do it. And He says, Yes, you can't, but I can. You're accepted by me. Come and spend time with me. Get your focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. Quit trying to fix your life and get to know Him as your life. And He will transform you. You know, he quotes from Romans 8, 28 and 29. All things work together for good to those that love God, to them that are called according to His purpose. And what is that purpose? For whom He did foreknow, He did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son we hear that verse quoted a lot you know uh, verse 28 but to the exclusion of verse 29 the good that God is working all things together toward is conforming us to the image of Christ whatever comes into your life Good or bad, God is somehow going to use it to move you forward towards conformity to His image. It might be that He's using it to bring you to the not I part of the equation. That's why in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Paul writes, Therefore, in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. No matter what we're going through, we can give thanks knowing that God is somehow using it to conform us to the image of Christ. We might not be real thankful for the thing we're going through, but we can be thankful that He's using it. That it's not in vain. Romans 8, uh, 32, He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? He says, man, if, if God gave Christ up to suffer for us, isn't He going to freely give us everything we need in Christ? Then from 2 Corinthians 4.15, For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the, through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. Everything that comes along, He uses for our sake. Why? So that ultimately it might bring glory back to the Lord. 
said, man, what a safe and impregnable position is ours in Christ. Psalm 18, verse 2, David wrote, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. This was David writing, and he didn't even have everything we've got. He was not positioned in Christ. And yet, he saw how impregnable his position was in God. So when he says, the accuser of the brethren, Satan points his maligning finger at the self-life within, at our condition in ourselves, seeking to get us to question our acceptance, we are able to rest in our position and point to Christ. When I'm struggling and I'm failing in my daily condition, and the enemy wants to point at that and say, how can God possibly accept you? By faith I say, he does it because I am in Christ. His acceptance doesn't rest on my life, it rests on Christ. He says, we are well aware of self's unacceptability. I know how unacceptable my life would be to God. I know how far short it falls. But, he says, we are more aware of our acceptance in the beloved. Man, I know how unacceptable I am apart from Christ. But I also know that my acceptance rests on the fact that I am in Christ. He says the enemy can never touch him. And our life is hid with Christ in God. Colossians 3.3 He says, Satan may be the counsel for the prosecution, but we have two counsels for the defense. An advocate at the throne, Christ, and an advocate within, the Holy Spirit. To say nothing of the fact that the righteous judge is our Father. Says Satan can point at at our flaws and failures all he wants. But we have Christ there at the very throne of God as our defense. We have the Holy Spirit within. And our judge is God. And in Romans 8.31, Paul says, you know, if God be for us, who can be against us? If the righteous judge accepts us on the basis of who we are in Christ, what can ever be laid against us? Closing paragraph, he says, Wherefore in all things it behooved him, this is from Hebrews 2 verse 17, Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in all things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. 
And then Romans 3.26. Our Father has reconciled us to himself in a way that enables him to be consistent with Him himself, both just and the justifier of him that believeth in Jesus. See, the way God has brought about our reconciliation and acceptance is in a way that is consistent with who he is. He could not justly just, you know, ignore our sins. He had to deal with them. And he has to deal with the old nature. And as he deals with them through the cross, it makes it possible for him to declare us to be righteous and remain righteous himself. To justify us and remain just. But it's all about us being in Christ. Apart from Christ, we would be condemned. Apart from Christ, we would still be enemies of God. Apart from Christ, we would still be in bondage to sin. Apart from Christ, we would still be part of this world system. It's the fact that we are in Christ that has changed all this. And I hope you all really do come to rest in the fact that you are completely reconciled to God and you are completely accepted by Him. If you really begin to take that to heart, it will have an impact on your daily life. It will have an impact on your prayers. Because as you really come to see that you are totally accepted, you will be able to come confidently into God's throne room in prayer. And not wonder, is He going to hear me or is He not? Am I acceptable in His sight today or am I not? No, you will be able to come with full confidence before His throne. Acknowledging that you're approaching Him not on the basis of your daily life. You're approaching Him on the basis of who you are in Christ. And you can count on Him to receive you with open arms because you are accepted in the Beloved. Okay, we made it through the chapter this week. It only took us three weeks, but it's a good chapter. Next week, we'll look at start looking at completeness and security, which again are in the result of our position in Christ. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we do thank you again for the riches of your grace that you have poured out on us. Lord... I thank you that this very moment I can come into your presence knowing that you accept me and that you accept everyone in this room that has put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not because we live sinless lives, Lord, we struggle, we fail, but because we share in the acceptance you give to Christ. Lord, may that just result in each one in this room becoming more and more free in their approach to you, knowing, Lord, that they can come with confidence before you, knowing they're accepted, knowing they're heard. 
Lord, we do pray for the service ahead and the fellowship meal to follow. Lord, we just ask your blessing on our time together as uh, the body of Christ. First, in the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.